Well, praise the Lord and welcome to our Friday morning First Timothy Bible study. You get a little confused every once in a while. I do Romans teaching on Monday morning, Thursday morning, and of course all the other things that we teach and preach here at Crossway Church in Queen City, Texas. Uh, it's good to be here today. Uh, I've got a couple people in the studio with me. Uh, this morning, this will be our last physical get-together until we are further instructed that it's okay to do so and uh, just for the safety of everyone and the, the technology that we have today and able to stream our services, our teachings, and, and everything that we do. Uh, we're just so thankful for that that no matter what we cannot do, we can always publish God's Word in one way or another, and uh, after this Friday morning meeting uh, at Crossway Church here in Queen City, Texas, the word will still go out as normal. My son Andrew will be home. He will be preaching this Sunday morning, excited about that, <clears throat> but there won't be anybody at church to watch it, to hear it. You will have to be able to have uh, social media. And uh, if you are somehow listening to this and you typically don't have social media or you know someone that does not do the internet, social media, uh, we will make them <clears throat> here. I'm talking about those that normally go to Crossway Church. We will make them a CD and one of our people will get it to them uh, where they live or uh, we will mail it to them if they go to church here at Crossway Church. We can't be mailing CDs out to everybody across the land. But uh, this is our last physical, might I say physical, get-together and until later. And we will be uh, notifying folks when we do get back together. But we will still be praying for you. And I know that you're going to be praying for us. We will still be giving to the work of God uh, the bills still have to be paid, so I encourage you take the proper, uh, use the proper channels to get your funds, your giving to the Lord through this uh, ministry, to this ministry. Uh, mail it to the address or use the text to give number 903-231-5950 or the website thecrosswaychurch.com. It's, a, it's, a, it's just an unusual and an unknown season that we're in as far as what is going on, but uh, it's not really unusual and unknown as far as uh, being in a situation where you don't know what to do, uh, because that happens many times in life, and this time it's the same thing, just a little different twist on it, with, a, with really a greater effect on it, where the entire country is being infected, uh, and the entire world is being in, uh, affected by this. But we still have a faithful God who has never let his people down. And so we just need to cling to him and thank God for the message of the cross. For those are the people who know, those who have been hearing the message of the cross know what it means to have faith in God. Not have to be able to trust in the Lord uh, as, you be, be, as you're led by the spirit of truth in the truth himself. And I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> And so uh, uh, well, this is not a season to get fearful because when you get fearful, somebody else gets fearful because you're fearful. Uh, and that's just the way life is. People watch you and, and they will operate uh, according to how you operate. So we need to live the lives of faith 
we've been given by Christ and express Him. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. dig in today. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to be here every Friday morning and to be in the letter to Timothy and the folks there in Ephesus that the Apostle Paul who was called and given to us Gentiles to give us the things we need to be able to know uh, how to be saved, how to live saved, how to function in the church. And that's what really the letter uh, the letters to Timothy are really all, mainly all about is how to function in the church as leaders and, and how to be aware of uh, uh, things that are happening around you that are not of God and how to be able to judge those that come in with a different message and, and just how to function in the body of Christ in the actual meetings and gatherings together. And we'll see that this morning. And I know we're about to start chapter 3. This is part 1 of chapter 3. But before we begin in verse 1, I want us to go all the way down to verse 14 and 15 so that we can <clears throat> see why Paul has given us this portion of Scripture. And I should say the Lord through Paul. Uh, and this is all, something that we always need to do. Uh, we need to read on and we need to go back and read again because as you read on through the Word, you'll get something that will cause you to need to go back and read again to understand. In verse 14 of chapter 3, 1 Timothy, uh, the, the letter says, These things write I unto you, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave or to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So I wanted to read that to begin with this morning because this is the very purpose Paul is writing to, to Timothy and to the folks there in Ephesus so that they, so that we will know how to conduct ourselves and it says it in the house of God. That, 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 that does not mean I am the church, I am the house of God anywhere I go, although you are. But he's writing here concerning literally the meetings, the gatherings, the get-togethers, how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God as leaders. That's why the description, and we're about to get into it, uh, for bishops, which is pastors, elders, and then he gets into deacons, and uh, their requirements, listen to me carefully, not options, requirements, commands. And when we get away from the commands of God's Word and begin to make it just optional, and we begin to just think everybody has a right to their own thoughts and own opinions, and they do, just not according to spiritual things and inside the house of God. We've got direction we need from the Word of God to operate in the house of God. I don't need your opinion, and you don't need mine. We all just need to stick with the Word of God as it is written without kind of putting our little twist on it. That's how denominations get started. We just, our little twist, and let us make for our name to sell, uh, our, our, ourselves a great name. And let's just stick with the Word, and when the Word declares something, let's just stick with it. It'll just give you so much peace instead of trying to uh, uh, live part of the Word and, and other parts of the Word you just you, you won't operate by. So we need to pay attention. Uh, these are not, again, none of God's Word is optional. 
I mean, it's your option whether you'll believe it or not. But when God gave it, He gave it to you and I as Gentiles through the Apostle Paul and the other writers of the Word of God to be commands to us. Jesus said, those that love me are obeying my commands. We all, we get it. Oh, he's the captain of my salvation. He's the captain. That speaks of an army. He claims that we're his good soldiers. What do good soldiers do? They obey and follow the captain. And we do that right now according to the word of the Lord. Not according to how we feel or who's given the most money in the church gets the highest position. That is the church of today right there. There's been people come in our church throughout the last 15 years and given big money and then all of a sudden thought they had a right to tell me how we ought to operate. It don't work that way, folks. If it did, we wouldn't need deacons and bishops, pastors rather, and elders. Everybody could just show up and somebody different could get up and talk every week and the people with the most money. And it, this is happening predominantly in the church that the pastor looks like he's in charge of the congregation, like he's the leader, but he really ain't, as we say here. He ain't leading nobody nowhere. He's being led by a minute few in that church who control everything. And that's not a pastor having authority and leadership. That's him having, even though he may think he's leading the sheep, there's a few that's leading him. And that's not biblical. That's out of order. And you can claim what you want to. You can keep playing and fake it till you make it and pretend. But that ain't God's will. That ain't God's word. Amen, Brother Curtis. Or oh me, help me, Lord. But... And, and, and we'll see in this third chapter the requirements, the commands laid out. That you, this is, this is not what you need to try to go for. This is what you get, or you're without, you're outside the will of God. It, it, it is. Listen, this is what's wrong with the church. We, we think this is the word of God is just some <clears throat> something we can lay out there and, and try to go by uh, a little bit, just as a guideline, whatever. But this is the no. This is it, folks. There is no light from heaven outside the Word of God. And we need the light from the Word. <clears throat> so, chapter 3, 1 Timothy, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, that's talking about the pastoral office, the eldership office, the overseer of a local church, he desires a good work. God considers the pastoral, the pastoral person to be a good work, the pastor to have a good work. It is a good work to be able to lead and feed God's people. That's a good work, unless we've distorted it, of course, and with the examples that I've just given, uh, a pastor being led by the flock instead of him leading the flock. Uh, but if it's done according to the word of God, then it is a good work. Amen. It's a good work. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. God's word here calls a man's desire to the office of a bishop, which is pastor and overseer of his people in a local setting, a true saying and a good design. God is telling us here that the desire to be an overseer of the house of God, if you're called to do it, is, is a good work. 
And that's a true saying. It is good. There is no higher calling on the planet than that of an overseer of a local assembly. There is no higher calling. As you've heard it said through the years, pastors... I'm talking about pastors according to the word who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not those who say they are, those who are, would have to step down to even be the president of any nation. Because, and we've got that all backwards. We think that's a, we think the highest position in our country is president. Not in God's eyes. That's in our physical eyes. And we need civil government because it's of God. But the highest, the greatest among you are those who serve. And the greatest servants among you are those who are actually serving righteousness and feeding, feeding God's people that which they should be hungering and thirsting for, which is righteousness. Preachers of righteousness. Come on. Hallelujah. So, uh, We need, to, we need to be careful. It's, it's good to desire to be a pastor of a local church, but uh, we need to also understand as pastors, as overseers, we're going to receive a double judgment. We're going to receive twice. The Bible calls it condemnation. I'll read it to you. It's in James 3.1. Watch what James wrote. James chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters. Boy, everybody wants to lead today. Everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to be the pastor until they get to be the pastor. And then they realize, oh, I don't want to be this no more. Yeah. And uh, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. That means the greater judgment. Because we are the ones called to feed God's people. To express Christ to God's people to be an example to put the bread on the table but really the Holy Spirit has to do that and the Holy Spirit can do that if the minister is opening God's word and pointing to the cross of Christ if that's not the case that that, that double that uh, greater judgment's not going to be good going to be a lot of things lost for a lot of ministers. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of uh, men who've called themselves mamas, wives, grandmamas, aunts, uh, uncles, call people into the ministry. God's got to call you. God's got to call you. Not your family. Now, people do recognize it, and that's where we get in trouble. We say we recognize it, and then, listen, I know I know ministers right now who've been in church since they were uh, all their life. They were raised up, and they, were, they watched the preacher function. Let me tell you something. If you watch a preacher function for 30 years, you're going to be able to probably function according to the flesh just like he does. Yeah. I watch little kids on social media. Sometimes videos are posted. And boy, they're giving it the moon. I'm talking about little two-year-old kids. They're giving it what the preacher's giving it. All you got to do, listen, a monkey see, monkey do. People see, people do. But God's got to, he's got to give you the truth. He's got to save you. He's got to feel you. He's got to teach you the word so that you can present it to others in the light of Christ and what he did at Calvary. Amen. There are a lot of people call themselves to ministry because they've just been around ministry all their lives. Dangerous thing. Many, many false prophets are in our time today. 
So the greater condemnation mentioned here is the judgment that will be greater toward those who feed God's people. And uh, it is very refreshing to be a pastor, although there are seasons it doesn't feel refreshing, like right now having to shut the doors down to the church. And think about all the churches that do not do social media. They just won't have any way of getting the gospel out. Some of the churches that I know, one in particular, I won't call its name, it doesn't, uh, uh, it's not going to have church. Who knows how long this thing will go on, uh, but they don't, they don't do social media. So everybody that goes to that church is going to have to, uh, that does social media is going to have to tune in to other people. And, and some of that's good. And, 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 and if they're pointing you to the cross of Christ using God's word, uh, if that's not happening, uh, then, you know, ever, let me say this to the ministers who are preaching the message of the cross. You need to be using technology to get your message out because there could very well come a day, if it hasn't already come, uh, where there, there might, for a long period of time, there may not be any physical get-togethers. And uh, we just don't know the future. And God's given us this avenue, and we need to take the time, the initiative, and what little bit of money it takes to get the word out. I mean, $700, you can have a full little camera like I got. The thing, I can hold it in both hands right here. It's called a Mevo camera, M-E-V-O. And I've tried to help pastors with it. And uh, you just set it up on a tripod. It hooks right up to Facebook and YouTube. If you've got a pay, those pages, I mean, I'm doing it all right here on my little smartphone. And, and, and I mean, you just need to, to invest a little time. Listen, it's for the people. Pastor got a heart for the people. Not to be known, but to make known the one who is the great shepherd over all the church. The one who can bring the peace and comfort in all these times that we're about to enter into. This, this noisome pestilence that we've entered into, it ain't going to go away quickly. And when it does, listen, there's always something else greater. Has that not been the case? You better prepare. And I don't mean with beanies and weenies. I mean you better prepare to be able to get the word out to the people. Hallelujah. You, that's your mission if you're a pastor. To get the word out. If it's not behind that sacred wooden or glass thing you stand behind every week. If, if you're not standing behind that and you're not doing anything, then that might mean you're just religious and a hireling. But if you're truly called to be a pastor, whether you can stand behind a desk or whatever, you're going to be searching, crying out to God for an avenue to get the word out. Might be newspaper articles every single week. It might be uh, whatever. It might be you mailing letters. It, whatever. You're going to have a heart to get the word of God out to God's people. Hallelujah. It, but if you just quit and get shut down and you're not doing nothing, you might need to question your calling because to get up and say there's a fire shut up in my bones. Listen, if there's a fire shut up in your bones, whether you can stand behind something like this in some certain church building or not, that fire is going to still burn to get out into the hearts and minds of God's people. Amen, Brother Curtis. He goes in to start giving the rule, the rules, and that's what they are. Rules, regulations, guidelines, commands 
for those who will have these roles of pastor over these local churches. That's, Paul had to receive these things of the Lord and give it to the church. Again, we started out uh, first thing today in verses 14 and 15 so we would know how to conduct ourselves as leaders, as saints, as all the people of God, but especially referring to leaders here, the pastors, the elders of the church, the deacons, all those. And, and so we'll know how to, and, and the main reason we need to know how to function and conduct ourselves in the body of Christ in, among the church is because that we need to be expressing Christ. That, that's the function. That's the goal to express Him. Not to get my two cents in and have my word and, and you know, all these voting and all this stuff. That, come on, I don't care what you say. I don't see it. I, don't, I just don't see it. And, and, and God sets a man in place and that man is filled with the Holy Ghost and begins to preach the gospel and then God ministers through him and people are drawn to the Lord through that message. That man is preaching. That's biblical and I'm sticking with it. A bishop then, verse 2, we'll just call him a pastor, then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, out to teach. Blameless speaks of a life in order as it becomes the gospel and without disorder that gives occasion to the enemy. That doesn't mean that the pastor won't ever make a mistake. It just means he won't live a life of mistakes. He won't live a life of mistakes. Well, we're always going to make mistakes, brother. Yeah, but listen. You and I are called to live lives without reproach. Listen, after a season of hearing the message of the cross and, and trusting in what Jesus did for you at Calvary, that does not mean we won't ever make mistakes again, but it does mean this. We are growing. We are learning. We are learning to trust more, express Christ more. Yes, we will make mistakes, but we will stop being known for our mistakes. You know, some preachers are just known for that, what they're doing. It ain't that. They're known as greedy. They're known as men of lust. They're known of, they're known of these things. And they, they're not, they haven't been changed. And those men need to be removed. Or you, as Paul told the church in Thessalonica, need to withdraw yourself from any brother who's living a life, a life in disorder. That means as it is not becoming the gospel. Let me read my notes. Make sure I don't miss anything. I took all the time to write all this. I want to make sure you get it. Doesn't mean there are never mistakes, but does mean that there is repentance and lessons learned from the mistakes so that through faith in the cross of Christ, more wisdom and strength is obtained through it all. Pastors make mistakes like everybody else. Should be forgiven like everybody else. Should continue to be able to operate in their gifts like everybody else. But we should not be known as 
blameable, just blameable. It's his fault again. You see, you see, God didn't take his calling away from Peter. When you read in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church in Galatia about a story that happened between him and Peter and others in Antioch when he said Peter was to blame. Well, that ain't being blameless. Well, that's a good example of how we make mistakes and we can make more mistakes. Let me say it a better way. We will make more mistakes. But we should not live in mistakes. We should not have a life just as blind. Peter repented. And God continued to use Peter. Praise God for that. But here he means that we should be blameless. We shouldn't just live in constant uh, a way that's come, well, he's to blame here again. It's a mess up here again. And I know that we can take it the wrong way when we hear preachers say, well, we're just so messed up. We, we can't get it right. No, no, you should be growing and learning to live lives above reproach, without reproach. And when you make mistakes, then people will know that it is a mistake. It's not some habitual something that's got you bound. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, pastors who live in habitual sin, whose lives are out of order, and that which is not becoming the gospel. That's what it means to be out of order. A life that is not becoming the gospel, the power of the cross, the, 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 the victory over sin. And that's been the problem for centuries because the church pastors have not known how to live without the domination of sin in their lives. Their kids have killed themselves. They've killed themselves. They've become drunks. They've all, You name it, they've done it. Homosexuals, they, they've been enticed and tempted by the lust of their own flesh and because they did not know or they heard and chose not to believe, the answer was the cross, and that has happened a lot. They were carried off by the lust of their own flesh. James says that because they didn't know where the overcoming victory was found, which was in the same message that saved them. Hallelujah. So, and I want to give you these scriptures that we're talking about, about being out of order, being blame, be, being the blame, and always had, you know, if Peter would have just went on always being the blame, if he wouldn't have repented and he'd have said, I'm done all the way with the Gentiles, I'm not eating with them, I'm going back to the Jewish stuff, I'm not, then he would have lived a life of blame. But he repented and said, I've messed up. Amen. And then later, Peter says of, uh, refers to what Paul wrote in his epistles. Uh, he relates it to the Word of God. So, you, and you and I have to do that too. What Paul wrote is the Word of God to us Gentiles to help us be able to know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God and everywhere we go. Amen. So. Let me read this to you. A couple of verses here. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. Uh, says this, now we command you. Everybody say command. command. It ain't optional here. The Bible reading limit. When you get in the Word, you better be looking for what your captain is giving you as orders because your heart is after him and you want to, you go to, let me say, let me say, let me break it down. We don't understand this, but I hope you do after this. When we go to the throne of grace to get grace, that means we're going to the throne of grace 
to get what God wants to take place in our lives. What is it you want to do? Never forget this. God's grace is what God does. God's if you write that down, don't forget it. You can't it, it, you can't change it. It's nothing else. God's grace is what God does. We're saved by grace. We're saved by what God did in Christ at Calvary. We're taught by grace, Titus chapter 2. We're taught by grace. And we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit because of grace. Paul said, I labor by the grace of God. That means by what God is telling me, what God is doing in me. God's grace is God at work. God's grace is God doing something. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it, earn it, and we don't deserve it. But when God finds true faith, there's only one. That's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did at Calvary. God gives us grace. But what does that mean? That means God moves in and God goes to work. And you can be confident if that's where your faith remains, not was 40 years ago or 4 hours ago, if that's where your faith remains, God will continue to perform that work that He began in you until the day of Christ. You need to get this. So when we when we come to the throne of grace to get grace, we're coming to God to get His will, what He is going to do, what He wants to do yes. in me and through me. Never forget that God's, well, I'm going to the throne of grace to get grace today. Then you're going to get your commands from the Lord. You're going to get your commands from the captain of your salvation as a good soldier so that you can walk in them and glorify Him. Come on now, somebody. When you're going to the throne of grace, you're going to get your commands to walk in. And the way you do that is in prayer and opening your Bible and looking unto Christ and what He did at Calvary. And you will find what you need, the grace you need. See, Paul, the apostle, knew that. That's why when he's crying out to God to remove this thorn from his flesh, three times the Lord spoke to him and said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, what in the world does that mean? Where is it at? You think that's what Paul did? Well, where is your grace? Grace ought to remove this thorn. No, grace is what God did in Christ at Calvary. Your faith in that got you the same grace Jesus tasted death by. Hebrews 2.9. Ain't no other avenue of grace, my friends. Hebrews 2.9. Jesus tasted death by the grace of God. If you want God's grace, you've got to taste that same death by faith every day. Amen. And that, that grace rolls right through your faith in what He did to get it for you into your life and you're saved by what God did in Christ at Calvary. And if you keep your faith there, God's desire is to multiply His grace to you to cause His grace to abound for you. Amen. Mm. Amen. I got some people amen in me this morning. I'm going to miss that because when it's just a camera, I guess I'll just have to amen myself. Yes. <laughs> Now watch this now. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. Not those who make a mistake and repent. Those who are just living disorder. Living it. 
Well, I know it's wrong, but there ain't nobody perfect, and they just keep on going in it. We are to remove ourselves from every brother Christian that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which he's received of us. Very important. If it's not that which the Lord gave Paul for us to walk in, they, they walk in disorder. Don't care how nice their suit is and how many times they go up to the church every week and how much, how much they lift their hands and tears roll down their cheeks. And Listen, if, listen. If their lives are being lived in disorder, and that means not becoming the gospel, they're walking, living in disorder. We are to withdraw ourselves from them. Let me read the first few words of verse 6 again. Now we command you, brethren. And we're not ugly to people. And we don't have to go to them and say, I'm removing myself from you. <laughs> All we have to do is those who we've... And I'm not talking about churches who've got some folk visiting the church who are walking in disorder. They need to be there hearing the gospel. I'm talking about folks we're fellowshipping with, hanging out with, that's walking in disorder... Because you should be living the gospel before them and sharing the gospel to them. And when they refuse it or refuse to believe it and refuse to walk in it, even though they say they're believing it, you are to withdraw yourself from them. There's other people there that you need to move on. No, the Bible, Jesus didn't teach us, keep begging them. Oh, keep begging them. He said, no, when they won't receive it, shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. Well, that's not love. Is That's what Jesus taught. And when we're obedient to God, it's when we're doing what He told us to do. Not when we feel like we got to do something because people want us to and they might think we don't love them. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Did he love Peter? Yes, he did. Sometimes people have to hear hard things. But the world today, and most of the churches say, well, they don't love people. They don't love people preaching all that to you. They don't even know what love is. Come on now. Philippians 1.27, something that's really ministered to me over the last few months. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says this, only let your conversation, and that means your behavior, your lifestyle, your words are included in all that. Be as it is, be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. The reason for centuries the church has not known how to live a life becoming of the gospel, they thought it was simply the fruit of a life becoming of the gospel was just going to church. But then Monday morning when they go to work, they look just like the rest of the world. Talk just like the rest of the world. But they think a life becoming of the gospel, well, I go down there to that church on the corner down there. No, 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 no. Let your behavior, your words, your life be as it is becoming the gospel, the good news of Christ. What the good news has done and is doing in your life because that's where your faith is. Hallelujah. Not in where you go to church or your preacher or the money you give or the time you spend in prayer or Bible study. It's literally in Christ and what He's done for you at Calvary. And if that's where your faith is, literally, not what, not what you, well, you know I believe all that. No, 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 no. 
I'm not, no, I, I said that for years as a Christian, but I wasn't living in the belief of that. Yeah. Amen. My life, I, I'm commanded by the Word to live a life that is becoming the gospel. Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in, watch this now, that you stand fast. He, he, what he's about to say is where we stand fast. If you're, not, if you're not in a gathering of believers that's in what the Bible here calls standing fast, you ain't in the right church. You're not in the right group of believers. That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Striving together for the color of the carpet. Striving together for another preacher. We don't like this one anymore. Striving just because we got the poors and we got the rich, we got the black and the white, we got those who got this and those who don't. Strive. That is a striving as well. But the Bible here says that we are to stand fast. Where can we? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. How can you and I be striving together for the faith of the gospel if when we're gathering, we're not hearing the gospel if the focus is not Christ and his work at Calvary and there's not a striving for the faith of the gospel mark the, write it down there's a striving for everything else that's not of God striving for who gets the microphone striving for who does this striving and, and where there's envy and strife there is confusion and every evil work you ain't getting out of it James 3.16 says it where there is envy and strife there is confusion in every evil work think about that our striving should be a striving that is a togetherness, striving for something. What do we come together for? What are we striving for? The faith of the gospel of Christ. Now I'm telling you this because of what we're reading here this morning, the bishop must be blameless. He must carry the gospel. I watch denominational heads even recently, because they can sing and they have a speaking voice, what the people call a speaking voice, and, and, uh, and they slam their Bibles down and claim we've got to get back to the gospel, we've got to get back to the gospel, but that, that's their preaching the gospel. They're not opening the Bible and seeing the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. They're not doing that, and they're putting on a show, and, 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 and I look on social media, and they have multiple thousands of people watching and viewing and liking and sharing that mess. And you got preachers of righteousness out there who got 10, 15 people following them. Liking what they say. I mean, the church is messed up. Those of you who are in, uh, the, those few of you who are in churches who've come back to Calvary, there are not many of you out there. And when people hear that statement, they're like, what's he talking about? It's very simple. Is the focus of your church Jesus and what he did at Calvary? For that's the gospel. That's what the Bible is about. Jesus is the light 
but the cross is the switch. Jesus is the door, but the cross is the hinge. Without the cross <clears throat> being preached from Genesis to Revelation, you got yourself another Jesus. You got yourself a bunch of feelings and emotions. So he says this, and, and, and this pastor must be not only be blameless, but he must be the husband of one wife. That does not mean that he never was married to somebody different. That means he doesn't have but one wife. He doesn't have but one wife. And if he knows the gospel, and his wife knows the gospel, and they're trusting in the gospel, then they will stay married, and he won't ever have to have another wife unless somebody, she dies or something. Because that's not honorable. Divorce is not honorable. It's wrong. But this is not speaking of I never have... Uh, you, you can't be a pastor of a church, son, because you used to be married to another woman. No, 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 no. I, I've, I've had many discussions with people uh, like that, and it's always with people who've never had a divorce. And they look down from their lofty positions of pride and their denominational platform. Uh, and let me tell you something right quick, folks. Before we were ever born, we were called and gifted by God. God's not changed His mind. The callings and the giftings of God are without repentance. What He called you to, He called you to. Sin will only hinder that and stop that for a season, but it will not stop if you repent. And listen, I don't have to go... I, listen, I don't have to not get married again uh, to, to stay in the will of God. Jesus and what He did at Calvary cleanses me from all unrighteousness no matter what I've done. And hear me this. It don't matter if it was before before I was saved or after I was saved, the blood of Jesus still cleanses me from all unrighteousness no matter what I do today. And I'm not saying this so I can go do a big piece of stupid. I'm telling you in case I do, God forbid I do, but the blood of Jesus is strong enough, powerful enough, and is a strong enough cleansing agent of God to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't care what you've done. What God's called you to do, quit listening to men. They will always point back at everything but Calvary. When you find somebody that is of God, they won't do that. They will point back to the cross and the blood that was shed there so you can begin to walk in your calling God has called you to walk in. If you keep listening to men... Well, you can't have but one wife, brother. That means if you were ever married before and you're married again, you can't pastor a church. Well, you just need to shake the dust off of your feet and travel on past those like that. Because God has not changed His mind about you. And in the days when this was written, it was just normal for people to have multiple wives as it had been for years. But the ministry, now, the church... One. Mm -hmm. One. One wife. Vigilant. That means just on guard. Mm -hmm. Self-controlled is what vigilant actually means. Self-controlled. I'm not controlled by people and how much money they give or, or what they think of me and what I drive and where I live. And I'm self-controlled. That means I'm led by the Spirit. Sober, sober-minded. Good behavior. Think about this. Good behavior means treating everybody alike. 
Good attitude. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Good behavior. You're not known for always blowing up, getting red-faced and mattered and fire. I mean, gossips are known for their gossiping. Bad-tempered folks are known for their bad temper. And if you've been saved for very long, you ought to be walking without all that. Because we were forgiven, we will be forgiven, we were delivered, and we can still be being delivered if we're walking in the truth, which is our faith is in the cross and nothing else. If you trust in something else you're doing, you're not going to get deliverance. And when you do, you're going to think you did it yourself. God can't be glorified in that. Good behavior given to hospitality means having a heart to help others in need. There's no telling how many people through the years that <clears throat> got down to a point they couldn't pay their light bill. We paid some people's light bill for two years for them because they were waiting on something to kick in. So, I mean, you've you got to be willing to help people. Now, I'm not talking about those people that just go from church to church about every month and knock on doors and come in and wander around there and meet when people are hugging on each other and uh, uh, trying to get money out of everybody and they're not going to stay for the worship service. You know, you finally get smart and you say, you're just here to get money to rob God's people. And uh, so, and I don't care what you think about that. We've helped those people and have promised to help them. If you'll sit down and worship God with us today and, and sit here in the congregation after church, we'll give you some help. Well, they won't do it because they're not there to get nothing but money. And... Uh, we are given to hospitality. And the last one here in this verse is out to teach, ready to teach. Yes. <clears throat> Think about that. Uh, verse 3 says not given to wine. It means not given to alcohol. Pastors over the local church are not to be given to wine, which means it does mean to be addicted to wine. But we also know that because alcohol alters the mind and sober-mindedness, that is commanded in God's Word, then there is to be no partaking of alcohol outside of medicinal purposes. I mean, and I've always said this, and I stick with it. Whatever excuse that I give outside of medicinal, true medicinal purposes for the medication, for something, that it takes that, Outside of that, any reason I give for using alcohol is something I'm denying the Lord to be able to do for me that I'm trusting alcohol to do for me. Now, what do you think about that? See, it always gets quiet. Because I'm going to tell you something. 99.9% .9 of all people who drink alcohol are drinking for a feeling, drinking for something, drinking to be social, drinking uh, for whatever. And again, anything outside of medicinal, medicine, not because you've determined it, but because it's been determined that that is what can help you. There's such a party spirit in the world today. And alcohol alters the mind. Let me say it again. Alcohol alters the mind. And if your mind is altered, it means it's not sober. 
And we're called to soberness, sober-minded. I always think about what would happen if I uh, did drink. What, what would happen if I did have a, a few drinks? You know, it's not hurting anybody. It's just me. I'm at home all alone, and I've had a few glasses of wine. God forbid I don't partake of alcohol, but what if that was the case? And and, and Because I'm going to tell you something. Let me say it again. Alcohol alters the mind. And if I got a phone call all of a sudden that I had to leave right now and be somewhere, Nobody's there to take me. I shouldn't be driving, but I've got to go. I'm be, I'm be, I've got to go. And I get in the car and I drive down the road and a kid runs out in front of me chasing a ball. I hit the kid, kill the poor little kid. What do you think they're going to do to me with alcohol on my breath? See, we don't think about these things. Let me remind us, folks, we're not animals. We can back up and look at the situation and think about the what-ifs. And we better take the wisdom of God when the what-ifs are there, like this example today. That's it for you if you're pastoring any kind of people that know what's right. And the church is so messed up. you got preachers that are drunks. You got preachers that have wives and girlfriends and telling the young men under them, ministry is stressful. You need a girlfriend beside you. That's going on in the church. I've been told that by people it's happened to. You just don't understand. You got youth pastors out there giving weed, marijuana to the kids to get them in a state where they can do something, seduce them. It's all evil all up in the church. We've been given guidelines. If we'll follow these guidelines, then we can find the Holy Spirit working in a greater measure within the church. And when He's able to do that, Christ is expressed greater. That can only happen by the Holy Spirit. So, also, uh, Blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, out to teach, not given to wine, no striker. Y'all know what that means. You know what it means to not be a striker? Not be hitting folk. Striking them. Getting angry and striking folks. Yeah, I mean... I, I remember a few years ago, some guy down in Florida had some so-called ministry kicking people at the altar, striking them. Oh, um, oh, claimed it was the anointing, but that's really not what this is talking about, but that wasn't right either. Talking about getting angry and striking folks. Not greedy of, of filthy lucre. Pastors are not to be uh, greedy. Not to have a love for money. Because the love for money is the root of how much evil? All evil. And preachers, pastors, they're not, to, they're not to have a love for money, a greed for money. Most men who stand in pulpits today, I hate to say it, are hirelings. They're hirelings. They're controlled by the people. They're hirelings. They were hired. I mean, Lord, I, I will never be able to pastor a church that I have to have documented Degrees documented. That's too much control for me. And that's why the denominational world don't like preachers of righteousness. Now, I'm not talking about there are none at all in the denominational world, in the church. But you ain't going to find hardly any that aren't being controlled by the people. 
And I couldn't, I mean, I told somebody the other day, uh, these, these preachers that God's raising up today, they're not going to be able to take churches over that don't know the truth of the cross. They're going to have to start the work. Because the churches that are out there today, they don't want to hear this message. They won't, they're more focused on he's got to have the documented degrees, all this stuff to make him what we want, what we're looking for. They're not worried about the gospel. They just want that preacher to be what they want him to be according to their criteria. Why? So they can control him. And again, let me say it. That's why the denominational world don't have anything to do with folk like us. Because they can't control us. That was the biggest, other than Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh, that was the biggest hatred the Jews had for Jesus. They couldn't control him. And that's what religion wants to do. Control you. You can always easily recognize those who've been sent by God. They are giving you the gospel. They're giving you the gospel. Not once, every once in a while. They're get, Whatever they are preaching, they are preaching the gospel in that word so that you can believe the gospel and the Holy Spirit can take control. Better be careful who you're listening to, who you're following, who you're giving money to. Because if it ain't the gospel, you're not supporting the work of God. Amen, Brother Curtis. Amen. If it ain't the gospel, you're not supporting the work of God. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after... They have erred from the faith. See what the love of money will make you err from the faith. Yes. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money causes a departure from the faith. The love of money causes a piercing through with many self-inflicted sorrows. The love of money. Somebody gave you $10 million dollars. You'd be 10 million times worse whatever you are right now. Mm -hmm. The love of money is the sin of covetousness. Colossians 3 and 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. That's what your Bible says. Covetousness, the love of money, greed, running after something. Can't get enough. They got it, I want it. Matter of fact, they got it and I can't get it, I want it. <laughs> Covetousness, the love of money, greed, is idolatry. That's what your Bible says you don't like it, you better go buy you another translation that'll lie to you, but you're still going to answer for it when you stand before the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 says the pastor's got to be one that rules his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. That means his children have to be subject to him. 
the guidelines laid down by him, the gospel he lives, they've got to live according to the guidelines of that same gospel, and they also have to be reverend to him. They can't just be doing what they're told while he's looking. They've got to be doing what they're told even when he's not looking because they reverence their daddy. They honor their mother and father. Well, that don't happen, brother. Oh, if it don't happen then, there can't be no pastors because pastors have to have this kind of children. People that say that don't happen are people who thought they were training their children up in the way they should go just by carrying them to church every week. But the way they should go has a name. His name is Jesus and what he did at Calvary. He is the way to the Father through the cross. He is the truth that delivers and liberates through the cross. He is the life to us through the cross. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the way we train our children up in that they won't depart from. So everybody's who's saying, well, that don't work for everybody. Oh, yes, that way works for everybody. But if we don't know what that way is and we don't stick with that way by our with our own hearts and selves, then we will be saying what they all say, well, that doesn't work for anybody. But the Bible here says if it don't work for anybody, nobody can pastor. Amen, Brother Christ. If that ain't working for nobody, then nobody's eligible to pastor. Amen. And this again is not talking about kids don't make mistakes because we even make mistakes. It's talking about they're not living in open rebellious, uh, I mean, open rebellion. Again, I mean, they are re they've been trained up from the time they were little in the way they should go. And I tell this on Andrew all the time. I, I spanked him. I'll use that word, but I never really did no spanking. I whipped folk and I whipped my kids and I never beat them, but they might have thought they was getting beat. But I, I, I spanked Andrew one time, one day, three times in less than 10, literally in less than 10 minutes. And that third time when my hand was about to fall off, that spirit of foolishness finally broke off of him. I'm talking about it wasn't even probably about six minutes, three times, but I didn't care. If both hands fell off, he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to act that way, not with me being his daddy. And it wasn't just because I was his daddy. I never told my kids, you don't do that because I'm a pastor. You don't do that because we're a preacher. You, I never did that. I always said, we don't do that because that ain't right. Amen. That's not right. So we didn't we didn't do that. We didn't tell our our, our kids that that uh, they don't act that way because of uh, uh, us being pastors or whatever. We don't do that because that's not right. Here's what is right according to the Word of God. I remember taking my kids to school, driving them there for a season in their lives. Every morning, I'd just be singing the Word of God to them on the way to school, and they still remember that. I remember when Dad used to sing that verse to us on the way to school. <laughs> but thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. I mean, I used to sing the Word because I, I mean, that's what I was full of, the Word and the Spirit of God. But, you know, uh, if you go to pastor a church and you can't pastor your own, I mean, father, your own house, you ain't qualified. You're not qualified. Uh, again, I'm not talking about there's not problems and uh, that happen. Everybody's got that. I'm talking about that open 
<clears throat> obvious, open rebellion. I'm not getting it. I don't want it. Listen, when that's happening in kids, that's because there's something wrong with the authority over them in that house. Amen. You see, today, uh, people say, well, that ain't always true, brother. No, I, the Bible says the rod of correction will drive that spirit of foolishness. What is that spirit? That don't want to serve God, ain't got time for God, and ain't got time for you trying to tell me what to do. That, that rod of correction will drive that out. And God says don't spare it, because if you do, you ain't loving your children. Amen, Brother Curtis. Yeah, folk today, you can't spank your kids. You can't discipline your kids. Well, you can't be a pastor then. Too bad. Everybody know. How many of you ever heard that for PK? You know what I mean? PK. Oh, look at them, the preacher's kids. Now, I'm not talking about made mistakes. I'm talking about living out there. My Lord, everybody knows them while they, they preachers kid. That ought not be, folks. Well, I hate to quit. Y'all done run me out of time again. It seems like I just started. It's already 10 o'clock and we do this for an hour every Friday morning. We'll be doing it every Friday morning uh, as long as the Lord allows us to do that. But this again will be the last Friday where people are allowed to come to these Bible teachings or the church. The doors will be locked Sunday morning, Wednesday night. There won't be anybody able to get in. If you know somebody that doesn't do social media, please send them a message. Call them on the phone. Tell them. And uh, uh, this is just for a season. I don't know how long that season will be. But really, you need the Word of God. Yes. Pray for us. Yes. Continue to give to the work of the ministry. I'd hate this thing to last two or three years and people out, out of sight, out of mind and not giving or start giving to some other place. And, and then when they got time, okay, everybody go back to church. Well, we ain't got one no more because everybody quit giving. Please don't do that. Be faithful to God as He's faithful to you. And I'm thankful for all the avenues He's given us to be able to present Him in the Word and His way to all those who have ears to hear. God bless you. We love you. And until next time, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. See you then.